The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. Marlon Nichols is Managing General Partner at Mac Venture Capital, a West Coast VC who invests in technology companies that create infectious products, products that benefit from shifts in cultural trends and behaviors in increasingly diverse global marketplace. So Marlon's also on the board of directors of Kaufman Fellows. He's an adjunct professor at Cornell and previously was Director of Investments at Intel Capital. So uh, Marlon, a uh, very warm welcome to today's show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So just kicking things off, Marlon, you left uh, Intel Capital to co-found Cross Culture Ventures, and you recently renamed the business as uh, Mac Venture Capital. So I'd love to hear more about this. What was the original philosophy behind cross-culture? Has that changed in any way? Have there been any shifts along with the rebranding? Yeah, so the um, the original thesis for cross-culture, we, we coined it as um, cultural investing, um, which is basically a play on, on pop culture. And our belief is that pop culture drives everything in our universe, whether that be consumer-centric things or enterprise-centric things. Think of Slack, right, which is a habit that was born out of consumer behavior. And now there's a whole billion-dollar company based on that behavior. So essentially what we try to do is to identify emerging behavioral trends and then figure out which of those trends can become a part of popular culture or become you know, social norm. And then invest in companies that are building solutions and products that fit with where we see that trend going. And, you know, if you think about it a different way, imagine having a crystal ball and knowing how people are going to behave in the future and where they're going to spend their money in the future and making bets based on that. You'd essentially be betting on tomorrow's next great companies. And so that's what we, that's what we try to do. The, um, the rebrand um, came as a result of a, a merger of, of two venture firms, actually. So Cross Culture was co-founded by myself and, and Troy Carter. Uh, Troy's a music mogul and just angel investor and um, fantastic person. We founded Cross Culture together. At the end of 2017, we were thinking about how do we move the fund to the next phase and begin to create the franchise that we both envisioned. And a part of that meant to increase the, the size of our team and the, the number of folks that would be working, working with us full time. And so rather than um, going out and hiring a bunch of folks that we've never worked with, don't have relationships with, we focused on a group, another venture firm called M Ventures, who we've been co-investing with and have known personally for um, a number of years. You know, started talking about what emerging of our teams would look like spent most of 2018 basically figuring out if, if this um, idea was actually gold or, or not and um, turned out to be platinum. Yeah, so we merged our teams and, and the, the rebrand is essentially a merging of, of the names of our prior funds, M Ventures and Cross Culture. 
And how has that affected the the underlying philosophy of the business? Have you got any differences in, in cultural philosophy or is it just a, a perfect marriage? It's, it's wonderful actually. And and no, there there hasn't been um, much of a much of a change. You know, one of the main reasons why we pursued this partnership is because we felt like they saw the world in a similar way to us. They may have articulated it a bit differently, but the concept, the ethos is, was the same. I'd say the only difference is um, one of my partners, uh, Adrian Fenty, spent four and a half years at Andreessen Horowitz. And as you know, Andreessen Horowitz has a laser focus on, on software. And so if anything, you know, he's brought that to our team where most of what we do will be around software. Hardware is not out of the question, but it's a, it's a higher bar for us. Now, you're investing in some really highly technical businesses. The founders are often predominantly technical rather than commercial. So what are some of the biggest challenges that they face as founding teams? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have a good mix, actually. So there are some, we do have some kind of deeper tech companies where, where the founders are, are engineers are very technical. We also have some, you know, tech-enabled companies where the founders are, are more, you know, kind of business people that are solving for challenges that they've seen in, you know, in their prior lives, um, professional lives. So it's a mix. Always a challenge with the, with the technical teams, technical-only teams, is making sure you're keeping sight of the business case. You know, you're building, you're building a company to solve for the business case as opposed to solving for technology for technology's sake, if you would. We actually prefer teams that are, that are balanced. If you can find a technologist that is also a business savvy person in, in one founder, that's great. If not, we prefer teams that have kind of one of each, right? And so a great example, we, we have a company named Pipe and the two uh, kind of primary co-founders I've worked with across two other companies now. And um, on one hand, Josh is, um, you know, product guy, right? Lives, eats, sleeps, product and, and, and pushing out code. And then his um, co-founder, Harry, is uh, more of a marketer and salesperson and, and just a charismatic personality with, with great business acumen. So the two of them together are, are great, right? Because they are going to push code and um, iterate on the technology and the solution, but the solution is always going to be driven by the business need. What about when you invest in a team that's purely a technical founding team? Does that pose some particular challenges for you? And if so, how how do you deal with that as as investors and, and in a way as mentors as well? It hasn't been that big of a challenge for us because at, at the seed stage, it's really all about founders, right? Because whatever the company is setting out to do, it's going to change in some way between now and, and the end of the company's life cycle. And so it's really about, you know, picking a group of people that we believe can, you know, steer the ship through rocky waters, smooth waters, whatever. And so, you know, the founders that, that we've picked and continue to pick don't typically have those huge blind spots. 
we like balanced teams. It's one of the things that, that we are going to look for. We don't have many teams where it's just all, all technical folks without any business, um, business sense. I think that could be challenging because then you're just building technology and, and maybe aimlessly. And that's not what we, not what we look for. Probably the closest to, to what you're thinking, um, we have a company called Gridraster, which is basically the, um, the software layer of mixed reality for enterprises. So they sell their product to organizations like government contractors, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, big manufacturers, Nissan, Renault, et cetera. And they are a, a hugely technical team, right? Um, all engineers. But the, the, the founder, Rishi, um, is, is also very much business savvy. He has the ability to effectively communicate with their, um, with their customer base and you know, understand the needs of, the, of those customers and, and then help translate those into the product. So again, for us, it's um, you got to have the you got to have the balance. Just you know, an amazing technical mind does not create an amazing business. You got to have the balance. Let's switch direction a little bit. So I I recently interviewed on the podcast Yannicka Neeson, who is female, as you may guess from the name, and is a first time VC in Europe. And um, she and her co-founder, they're both females, convinced that the bar was higher for them as female founders on their, on their first uh, fund. The bar was raised higher for them than it would have been for male VCs raising their first fund. As a black VC, when you raised your fund initially, do you think there were any challenges there because uh, you weren't the classical you know white middle-aged male raising a raising a fund was the bar a bit higher for you than others to raise your first fund i think it's just par for the course as a as a black man in, in america um whatever space you're in it's going to be a bit more difficult because there are all these unconscious biases that really exist People tend to need to see more from you to, to believe that, you know, you're, you can be just as good as, as someone that doesn't look like you. And also a part of it, too, is human nature, right? In the sense that, and not trying to let anyone off the hook, it's not right, but it, it is somewhat a part of our nature. We like to, we like to be around other people that resemble us either physically or, um, or from an experience um, standpoint. So, you know, if you, you know, if you grew up in Palo Alto, California, and you went to, to certain schools and um, you spent your summer in certain places and you enjoy certain hobbies, then it's going to be easier for you to connect with people that do the same or have done the same. You think we all think pretty highly of ourselves in most cases, and you look to to you know surround yourself with with like people, but that presents a problem when when you're also a steward of capital, because your job is to find the best talent, fund the best talent, 
and help that talent to create amazing outcomes for your investors. And if you are creating, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, a higher standard for parts of the population, then you're not doing your job, honestly. How challenging is it for black or minority ethnicity entrepreneurs to raise VC funding for their businesses in in the States? The numbers say it's very challenging, right? Only 2% of the funding goes to black and and brown um, founders. And if you look at black and brown um, women founders, it's even worse, right? So um, yeah, I mean, the statistics speak for themselves. And what do you think needs to be done in terms of the structure of the VC ecosystem to to address these funding issues, whether it be the funding of the venture capital firms or the funding of the entrepreneurs and the startups? I think it starts from the, the top, right? It, it's all about the, if you take what I just said about, you know, human nature and wanting to partner, invest and work with people that look like you. It's a problem if the the allocators of capital don't resemble the rest of America. If the allocators of capital are close to 100% white and male, that's where you can expect to see most of the dollars flowing to or who you can expect to see most of the dollars flowing to. Um, So it, it starts with the pension funds, the institutional limited partners that are deploying capital to to general partners or or, um, or venture capitalists. That has to get more diverse so that the dollars um, flow to, to more diverse general partners. And then if there are more diverse general partners and more diverse entrepreneurs will get funded. I don't think it's a coincidence that Black VCs make up about 2% from a decision-making perspective, make about 2% of the industry. And that is the the exact same number of black and brown founders that get funded. No, that sounds like a fairly uh, linear relationship. Are we talking about a moral issue or are we talking about a financial return on investment issue? Well, I mean, first of all, it, it is the humane thing to do. Treating people equally should be uh, table stakes, just as a, um, a respectable human being. But we're talking about business. And so let's, you know, let, let's make this conversation about, about business. And the facts are, and there have been tons of studies, McKenzie, Bain, all of them, like diversity, diverse teams produce better results, period. It's been proven with, with numbers over and over again. And it's even being proven in, in the investment world. I um, co-authored a, a research project with the Coffin Fellows earlier this year, where we looked at um, the amount of funding that, that went to all white teams versus diverse teams, and then the outcomes. And diverse teams, while raising significantly less money, capital, at the early stages of, the, of, of companies, outperform all white teams at the point of exit by at least 3%. So given that, 
it just makes sense that, that you would want to um, take a look at more diverse teams. In addition to that, the demographic breakdown of our world is changing. We're getting more brown. Um, <laughs> right. And, um, and so you can't ignore those cultures. And, and, and by the way, those cultures have immense spending power. And so I think it's, it's senseless to ignore those perspectives, ignore the challenges that those communities are, are seeing. Because if you don't, if you do ignore them, then you're not investing in solutions that cater directly to them. And you're probably missing out on some really big opportunities. So, you know, if, if, you know, if, if you're not a decent human being, <laughs> don't want to be a decent human being, at least be a selfish um, and, <laughs> and fiduciary or, yeah, and a responsible um, fiduciary. Good point. Now, away from the diversity theme, when we last spoke, you mentioned that many companies raise way too much money too quickly, and that you yourself, uh, when you were an entrepreneur before you became a VC, you'd made exactly that mistake. So why was that such a problem for you? Well, I think, you know, every when you have things available to you, you're, you're probably going to use them. Right. And so if you if you raise too much capital. Right. Um, so, so one of the cardinal rules of building a great company is focus. You know, if you have a little more than what you need to build the thing that you're that you've set out to build and, and to achieve the milestones that you set out to, to achieve, then you're probably in, the, in, in a good place. If you have so much capital that um, you can now, you know, point resources on five or six different things as opposed to one or two, the focus dilutes. And with that goes, I guess, the, the propensity for success, right? Or the likelihood of success. Um, because, because now your attention is in, in so many different directions. There's so many balls in the air and you haven't, you haven't even solved for the first thing yet. And that's, um, I think that's the main problem with, you know, taking on way too much capital at once and, and too early. It's not to say it can't be done. It, it, you know, it's very, it's possible, right? It just makes it harder. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that your portfolio companies, even though presumably you're steering them away from over-raising, but do you find they have problems or challenges in any case with, with focus? And if so, how do you kind of pull them back on track? We've been lucky or, or good at, um, at picking the right entrepreneurs. Our DNA, you know, we were strategy consultants, um, public servants, and talent agents in past lives. And so do you mean Hollywood talent agents? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so you learn over over the years how to work with people and how to coach people in a way where they don't feel coached. It's, it's kind of a it's, it's a talent or or a gift, you know, where we can get kind of our message across in a way that resonates with the founders. And the other thing, too, is it's really important to build a relationship with them. 
So they not only are investees, they become friends and we become trusted advisors and you build a relationship and you have very candid, you know, conversations and, you know, you get your, get your point across, you, you show the, the pros and cons of the argument that you're making. And then it's up to them because a, a big part of this, right, is, is trusting them to do what they believe is best for the, for their company. Right. At the end of the day, they've got to run it. They've got to make the, the, the tough decisions and, and live and die by them. And we're there to support. Does that mean that you're only investing in pretty local firms then for you to build that relationship, that deep trust and that friendship? I'm guessing that you're focusing on, on local firms or are you more geographically dispersed? So one of the things that we, that we like to say is that, you know, talent is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Access to capital is not. And we want to, we want to provide capital to amazing teams building amazing companies. And so that means that we need to look outside of our backyard. And so, you know, we've invested across the, across the United States and even outside of the, the U.S. I'm on the board of a company that, that's in Nairobi, Kenya. But yeah, it, it does make it a little bit more difficult when you have, um, you know, time zones, different time zones and, um, and, and things like that and just space. But you, you find ways around it, right? You have, you have more video conversations, phone conversations, et cetera. You, are, you make sure that you're very accessible via email, you know, all those things. All those, those touch points, they, they matter. You don't necessarily have to sit, you know, um, directly across from someone to, to build a relationship. There have been love stories, right, of, of people that uh, never actually meet in person, <laughs> fall in love and get and um, meet for the first time when they're getting married. Like it, you know, it's a real thing. <laughs> I suppose with COVID, it's making that uh, a more common thing in the world of investment. Are you doing deals now where you are literally investing in businesses where you've never met any members of the team? No, not never met. So it's interesting, right? We just we just committed to our tenth our tenth deal, and it, it's uh, the founders um, are two young uh, Jamaican-born technologists. One is living in Palo Alto; the other one is in is in Kingston, Jamaica. So my partners, I don't believe had have met them in person. I did meet one of them in person, I think three years ago. <laughs> a tech conference called Tech Beach in, in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And um, vaguely remembered him from, from there. <laughs> but to say that I knew him and, you know, spent quality time with him then uh, would, be, would, would not be true. Um, so, I, yeah, so we really built the relationship, you know, through this process of, um, of evaluating their company and the opportunity. And, you know, we relied a lot on a previous investor you know, I was in the company and our relationship with them, um, their perspective on, on the founders, and then obviously on our network, other people that know them. So you're just as confident with the quality and rigor of the due diligence as, as you would have been in a, in a pre-COVID environment where you could have met them a few times? 
Yeah, in some ways, even more so because we find that we're we're doing more reference checks, more blind reference checks. One of the traps of um, of venture investing is like really getting to know a founder, and that founder is, is super charismatic, and, and you build a relationship, and, and you're falling in love with with the deal for the wrong reasons. This environment forces you to, in a greater way, really look at the, the fundamentals of, of, of the business and make a decision based on, on what you're seeing with the business. So it's, um, yeah, in, in some ways it's, it's, it's better. And do you focus more on the business and the potential of the business or on the team and whether the team has got the right mix of skills and personalities to really make a go of it? It's both, right? I mean, like we're not going to ever invest in an amazing team that's building something that has a tiny market and, you know, with a value proposition that doesn't resonate with a big group of companies or, or, or humans. But we're also not going to invest in, in a team that's subpar, that's, you know, building in a giant market that's like just ripe with um, with opportunity, so it's uh, you know you're looking for for the, the match, right? You're, you're looking for a big growing market that has some white space that this company is building towards in in a unique and defensible um, manner, and then you're looking for a leader or a, a group of leaders, you know that are uniquely positioned to build this, this, this company and have all the um, personality traits or combined personality traits that we know to be necessary to create a multi-billion dollar outcome. Very interesting. Well, it's been fascinating having you on today's show. We've covered a diversity of topics. I think I've learned how to get pop culture and focus and diversity, I seem to have used that word a lot, but how to get all three of those things right in investing. So uh, I'd like to wish you and the portfolio huge success, huge business success, and uh, also hopefully you'll be able to chip away at the diversity issues that uh, that we all face. So uh, looking forward to hearing about uh, your the inroads you make in, in that as well. Yeah, thank you. And and the two things aren't mutually exclusive. Like, we're hopefully we can do both at the same time. Absolutely. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.